Is it on? I don't do technology. I have a husband that does technology for me. You know, I always thought the pastors kind of had it easy until you get up here, it's like, it's really big. <laughs> I am excited to be here. This is my church, and um, I usually sit right down over there. So, I, um, when they first asked me in September, okay, loud voice, when they first asked me in September to speak, and they asked me, you know, what would I like to speak about? And every time I would think about it, I thought the only thing that came to me was no room. No room. And um, I guess it's because I've had a lot of trouble with that in my life. And I think that's partly what God wants me to share with you tonight, that I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. I love the lights and the food and the carols and just everything, my tree and everything about Christmas, but I have trouble with Jesus getting lost in Christmas. I have trouble with that because I want to do everything perfectly. Do I have any of those in this room? And the Lord had to teach me some really hard lessons about that because uh, I remember one of my children sharing as an adult that they remember getting up in the morning and finding that I had changed all the ornaments they put on the tree. It was not a pleasant memory. Um, but my worst experience, and I told the committee that I would probably have to share that today, my worst experience happened about 20 years ago. And um, I don't know if some of you mothers are that way, but I always wanted to have the perfect present for my children. And, you know, you kind of want them to like your present the best. And I have looked and looked and looked for a present for my daughter, Julie. And we just were, she was a Christmas person too. If any of you knew Julie, she was a Christmas person. And we did all these things at Christmas. We'd go to the craft fairs and we'd find angels. And then we'd bring them home and tear them apart. And then we'd make, you know, 20 of them. And um, so this year, I, I hadn't yet learned how to make stuffed rabbits. And so I found this rabbit. And it was at the Christmas show at the fairgrounds. And, um, but I had to look five or ten different places first before I decided. And so I was at the corner of Glenwood and State in the parking lot. And I was trying to get back onto Glenwood to go back to the Christmas show to buy this rabbit. It wasn't perfect, but I was going to change a few things, add a few things to it, so it would be perfect. I still have that rabbit, so uh, now that Julie's in heaven, I got a rabbit. So, But anyway, I was sitting in the parking lot trying to get out onto Glenwood, and there was a nice little old lady in front of me. Now, she's probably about my age now, but she seemed really old at the time. <laughs> And, um, you know, when you get to be this old, you don't think you're old. But anyway, she was a little cautious, and she wasn't really getting out into the street. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited behind her. And finally, in my Christmas spirit, I said, you stupid old woman, get out of my way. 
Now, the sweet little old woman did not hear me, but Jesus did. And in my spirit, a soft voice said, Is this how you're going to spend my birthday this year? And I remember just sitting and crying. What am I doing? What am I doing? It's like it's his birthday and we spend all this time doing things for everybody else. Isn't that funny? If your child had a birthday party and, um, and you invited everybody and they brought presents for everybody else and spent all their time on everybody else, wouldn't you be a little bit upset? And so from that point on, I started rethinking Christmas and rethinking what I was doing. I have a friend that taught me a little poem once, and this is what it says. Why do we do the things we do? Who do we do them for? Do we do them for ourselves? Or do we do them for the Lord? And so I began to change. It's, it's taken years. I have a book I read every Christmas, and I start in November. It's called Celebrating Christmas Like It Really Matters. And the book is trying to show how easy it is for us to buy into our culture. Did you know in the 19th century that um, people started preparing for Christmas usually a couple of weeks before Christmas? And then they spent about a week celebrating. Now we spend months preparing for Christmas and buying and buying and buying and buying. And then Christmas is over. Have you ever had that letdown after Christmas? Have you ever had, oh, it's all over. But in the 19th century, they would, they would do all these activities. It wasn't things they bought, but it was activities. And so what, what I've been trying to do in changing is to, is to try to decide, as far as even the gifts I buy, is this going to be a relational thing? Is it going to be something I do? My one grandson for years, I take, we've taken him skiing for Christmas. That's, that's something we, we did with him because it was something we did together. So I want to challenge you. When you're, when you're thinking of gifts this Christmas, especially for your kids and your grandkids, think of things you can do together. Think of things that are relational. Think of, think of memories. Think of not stuff. It, it's funny because kids... Uh, I was, one of the books I was reading this Christmas said that December is the loneliest month of the year for children because their parents are so busy. And I used to think my kids got so naughty before Christmas. And you know why? I finally figured out why. Because I was so distracted and so busy making all these things. My daughter and I even made our own bows. And it was before the wire stuff. And we had, they had to be perfect. And, you know, the Christmas cards. And then you can't just send a card. You have to put a note in it. And then, you, you know, you have to have pictures. And about, probably about 15 years ago, I decided no more Christmas cards. I was so stressed. And so we started a new tradition in our family. And we send an Easter letter. Um, and we don't do it every year, but just so people won't think we haven't died or something, we, <laughs> we do it every few years. 
But you know what? It's funny because Jesus never asked us to remember his birth. He asked us to remember his death. Did you ever think of that? And we make a lot of Christmas, and I love Christmas. But I will tell you, I was reading a book just recently. It's called The Best Christmas Ever or something. And I got about halfway through, and the woman said, if you have a higher power, you might want to get better acquainted with your higher power. And I thought, she's telling you how to get in the spirit of Christmas, and she doesn't even know the Lord. I was thinking, what is it? What is Christmas? And I was thinking of Mary and, and, and Joseph and the, the loneliness and the... I just believe they were ostracized. I believe, I'm sorry, but if your teenage daughter came home and told you that she had an immaculate conception, would you believe her? I mean, really. Even though they were waiting for the Messiah, they didn't really understand that it was going to be God with us. They really didn't understand that. And I thought of Mary and Joseph, and Mary being without her mom. I mean, I was with my daughters when they had their babies, and... She didn't have her mama, she didn't have anyone, and Joseph didn't have anyone to help him. And, you know, we've kind of romanticized Christmas in a way that, you know, oh, it must have been Mary had a beautiful blue, and she had a halo around her head and everything. I'm thinking, no, it was dirty, smelly, and painful. And so I guess what... What I've been trying to do the last few years, and I still struggle with it. The other day I started to get my Christmas stiff neck where I was going like this. I, I have lots of grandkids. I, I have lots of grandkids. And, but you know what the Lord showed me? I am not their happiness. Their mother might be, but I'm not. <laughs> it's one good thing about being a great uh, grandma. Now, a great grandma is even better because you're old and they don't expect anything of you. <laughs> All you do, but I have to tell you, I have the most adorable great-grandson you have ever seen. I know you think yours is nice, but mine is better. (laughs) One good thing about getting married young and having your kids young. Do you think that was the Lord saying, I'm done? (laughs) He has his ways of getting our attention. (laughs) Uh, actually, when they asked me about the verse that that I wanted for for tonight, um, and I think it was on your program, but um, it comes out of uh, it is actually my life verses from out of um, out of Romans chapter twelve, and um, but I picked it out of the message because um, even though the message isn't a translation, sometimes it just says it like we say it today. So let me read it to you. And this, ha- this applies to Christmas, but it also applies to our whole life, too. And, and that's the other thing I want to talk to you about, but let me tell you this first. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you 
and quickly respond to it. And then in the Phillips translation, it says it even a little bit stronger. In the one part it says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. You know, we've been having our sermons lately out of First Timothy, and we've been talking about being a gospel-centered church. And I believe as believers, we need to decide to have a gospel-centered Christmas and not get sucked into our culture. Our culture tells us what we have makes us happy. That's just what it says, and that, that's what's all around us. I mean, it's on the billboards, and it's on TV, and it's everywhere, and it's all my computers. You know, when I pull up my computer every morning on my emails, it didn't matter if it's Sunday or Thanksgiving or whatever. They're just, oh, you got to have this, and you got to have this, and you got to have this. And, and, you know, I just think when I see that, when he, he's telling me to put my everyday life and give it to God as an offering— I believe he wants me to make room in my life for him. Not just at Christmas, but he wants me to make room in my life for him in my spending, in, in what I do and where I go. What, what if we just brought everything to him? What if we just woke up in the morning and said, God, would you plan my day? Would you just plan my day for me? Would you, would, would you just show me what you want me to do? And when we get ready to spend money, we might say, God, do you really want me to buy this? Is this a good idea? See, that's what I believe making room for Jesus is. Because I believe that he wants us to have him in the middle of everything we do. He wants us to be in our relationships. He wants to be in in our pain, in our struggles, in the hurts we have. This last year for me was really hard. I've had some hard years. The year my daughter died uh, was a really hard year. And God carried me in a beautiful way. And the last year, my friend Cindy died. And a lot of you heard Cindy speak here last year. Um, she had um, pancreatic cancer. And she had just about, just about four months from the time she knew till the time she died. And Cindy and I had um, talked together for 21 years. So we had spent two days together every week for 21 years and six emails a day or whatever. But last year was just a, a really hard year. I was so glad she got to be in heaven, and I was so glad that God carried her through. But it was just a hard year, and I just had to let Jesus in that pain and just say, God, I love you. I trust you. I know you're going to use this for good. And... You know, when he does that, and when we let him do that, we see what he does. I think of Mary. Remember when the remember when the angel came to Mary and told her what was going to happen? It's like, how can this be? How can this be? I'm a virgin, and it was so sweet. I I, I read a book this this winter by Jack Hayford, and it's called The Christmas Miracle, and he said something that was so beautiful. He said that he, when the angel came to Mary, he, he said she was highly favored. Mary, you are highly favored. But what that really means is you are graced. God has graced you, and he's going to give you this child. And that word's only used one other time in Scripture. And it's used by Paul, and it's used for us. 
we are highly graced. We are highly graced. And, you know, I was going to talk more about how to slow down at Christmas, but what the Lord showed me since, since I said I was going to speak was he wanted to show me what it means to make room for Jesus in our lives because Mary made room for Jesus. She said, let it be according to your word. Remember? She said, okay, I'll go for it. And you know what? We get to do the same thing. We get to do the same thing because we get more than Mary got. Mary had Jesus in her womb for nine months. But when we come to Christ, we get him forever. You know what it says in Romans 8? I love it. It says, the power that raised Christ from the dead lives within you. Did you ever think of that, that you're more highly favored in some ways than Mary? Now, Mary was the unique mother of Christ, but Mary was a sinner just like us. And the reason why she got to carry baby Jesus was because God graced her with him. And she said yes. And that's all we have to do. That's all we have to do is is say yes to God and let him use us. If the power that raised Christ from the dead lives within us, then God can use us in amazing ways. Mary was a simple girl. If you've ever been to Nazareth, even Nazareth today is not much of a place. Nazareth was kind of like Weezer, Idaho. <laughs> oh, somebody here is from Weezer, I'm sure, and I'm really sorry. <laughs> you have a great fiddler's contest. I'm sorry. But it was just, it wasn't Jerusalem. It, it, was, it was way up in the north, and it, it just wasn't much of a place. She was a simple teenage girl. Isn't it cool that God used a teenage girl to carry his son? I was a teenage girl when I carried my first son, too. And I thought, you know, God just chose a simple girl who loved him, and he allowed her to carry his son. I love um, the verse in Mary, Don't You Know, um, that Mark um, Lowry uh, sings. It says, Mary, did you know that the child that you delivered will soon deliver you? Mary's a sinner just like us. But God graced her. He gave her favor and said she could carry his son. But he has graced us with his spirit. In fact, the whole mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ Jesus lives in us if we're believers. He lives in us permanently. Mary had him for nine months. We have him permanently. We have power. You know what it says in Philippians? In Philippians 4, when Paul, I love Philippians 4, and Paul's talking about being in want and all kinds of things, but he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, this is before, this is after the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So Paul had the Holy Spirit. But that word is an amazing word in the Greek. It's dunamis, and it is the word we get dynamite from. Because we are believers, because we have Jesus Christ within us, We have power. We have power to change our world. You know, sometimes I think we think Jesus came to die, just to die for our sins. And he did come to die for our sins. And to save us from hell and to get us to heaven. No, he came to put heaven in us. 
We're living in a dark world and we're the light. We're the light. I think of when Jesus died, he left, he left 12 very fragile men to change the world. And you know what? They did. And as we, like Mary, carry God within us, and the power that he gives us is enough for anything. Any single challenge you have, any struggle, any, any hurt, any problem, the God within you is big enough to take care of it. God doesn't expect you to do it. I heard someone say one time, it's not difficult to live the Christian life. It's impossible. And you know what it is. It is impossible to live the Christian life. God never intended you to do it. He intended to live it through you. And what I see as far as making room for Jesus at Christmas time is that we live this kind of life like Mary lived. A life of faith. A life of believing that because God lives in me, because he lives in me, that I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Now, that doesn't mean I'm supposed to do all things, okay? But you know, you know what Jesus did? He didn't do all things. He only did what his Father told him to do. That's why we spend time with God, so we get directions every day. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to speak for the cold women's night out? And it's like... I prayed about it for a long time. And then today about 5 o'clock, I thought maybe I'd made a mistake. (laughs) So Ann gets a text, and and she texts me back. My friend Ann Blakeman has been my buddy for years and years, and she goes with me whenever I speak. And first time I ever, ever spoke, I spoke for Christian Women's Club, and I had all I had to do was share my testimony. And I was in the coat closet crying beforehand. I don't want to do this. <laughs> and she, she, you know, so afterwards I said, I think I like this. <laughs> and so she reminds me of that almost every time. <laughs> you know, I don't think I've said anything I intended to say, but <laughs> it, about five o'clock it was like the Lord said, will you just get up there and do what I tell you to do? We just forget about all this and do what I tell you to do. But I, I, I do want to read you a couple of stories because, um, just because I think we have just about three weeks till Christmas, and I think God's got something really, really important for each one of us in the next three weeks. I think He's got some encounters for us that we don't want to miss. So the first little story I want you to read, to read you is called The Christmas Guest. And it's an old story, and you'll be able to tell that by, by some of the things that are said. But it's actually a poem, and I love it. I just love it. It happened one day near, de- near December's end. Two neighbors called on an old-time friend, and they found his shop so meager and poor, made bright with boughs from ceiling to floor. And Conrad was sitting with face ashine when he suddenly stopped as he stitched a twine and said, Old friends, at dawn today, when the cock was crowing the night away, 
the Lord appeared in a dream to me and said, I'm coming, your guest to be. So I've been busy with feet astir, strewing my shop with branches of fir. The table is spread and the kettle is shined and over the rafters the holly is twined. And now I will wait for my Lord to appear and listen closely so I will hear his steps as he nears my humble place. Then I'll open the door and look on his face. So his friends went home and left Conrad alone, for this was the happiest day he had known. For long since his family had passed away, and Conrad had spent many a sad Christmas day. But he knew the Lord. He knew with the Lord as his great guest, this Christmas would be the dearest and best. So he listened with only joy in his heart, and with every sound he would rise with a start and look for the Lord to be at the door, like the dream he had had a few hours before. So he ran to the window after hearing a sound, but all he could see on the snow-covered ground was a shabby beggar whose shoes were torn, and all of his clothes were ragged and worn. But Conrad was touched and went to the door, and he said, Your feet must be frozen and sore. I have some shoes in my shop for you and a coat that will keep you warmer, too. So with grateful heart, the man went away, but Conrad noticed the time of day. He wondered what made the Lord, dear Lord, so late and how much longer he'd have to wait. Then he heard a knock and ran to the door, but it was only a stranger once more. A bent old lady with a shawl of black and a bundle of kindling piled on her back. She asked for only a place to rest, but that was reserved for Conrad's great guest. Yet her voice seemed to plead, don't send me away. Let me rest for a while on this Christmas day. So Conrad brewed her a steaming cup and told her to sit at the table and sup. But after she left, he was filled with dismay, for he saw that the hours were slipping away. And the Lord had not come as he said he would, and Conrad felt sure he had misunderstood. When out of the stillness he heard a cry, Please help me and tell me, where am I? So again he opened his friendly door and stood disappointed as twice before. It was only a child who had wandered away and was lost from her family on Christmas Day. Again, Conrad's heart was heavy and sad, but he knew he could make this little girl glad, so he called her in and wiped her tears and quieted all her childish fears. Then he led her back to her home once more. But as he entered his own darkened door, he knew that the Lord was not coming today, for the hours of Christmas had passed away. So he went to his room, and he knelt down to pray, and Conrad asked, Lord, why did you delay? What kept you from coming to call on me? For I wanted so much your face to see. Then soft in the silence, a voice he heard, Lift up your head, for I kept my word. Three times my shadow crossed your floor. Three times I came to your lowly door. For I was the beggar with bruised cold feet. And I was the woman you gave something to eat. And I was the child on the homeless street. Three times I knocked. Three times I came in. And each time I found the warmth of a friend. Of all the gifts, love is the best. I was your honored Christmas guest. I guess what I 
what I want most of all is that I don't miss him this Christmas. He might not look like I think he should look. He might not. It might be inconvenient. And so what I'm trying to do, and I hope you'll do too, is I'm, I'm limiting what I do this month. I'm, I'm asking him about where I go and what I do and how involved I get. You know what I would love to do at Christmas? I would love to sing in the choir. And every Christmas I ask him, and every Christmas it's like, not this time. So I just get to listen to him, which is good. <laughs> it's probably best for them anyway. <laughs> you know, I just, I guess I do want to tell you um, a little bit about my testimony. Um, I still got a little bit of time, yeah, don't I? Yeah. Um, because when I was thinking about there being no room for Jesus, um, there may be someone here who is liked, like me who was raised in church and raised with Christian mother and Christian grandmother. I went to Christian school. Um, That's all I ever knew. And yet, I didn't know Jesus. If you had asked me if I knew Jesus, I would have said, of course, I'm a Christian. But I had no joy, and I had no peace, and I had no power over sin. And... My life was really hard. I can remember at one time with, with three little children just thinking, is this all there is? Is this all there is? is? Is this all there is to life? And when my youngest child was a year old, someone invited me to Bible study fellowship. It was at First Baptist Church. It was back in the 60, back in 1970. 1970. And... Um, I didn't really want to go. I thought I knew about the Bible. I mean, it sounded kind of boring. And, but this friend, she wouldn't stop asking me. And so finally, just to get her off my back, I decided to go. So I took my four-year-old and my one-year-old, and I took off to Bible Study Fellowship. And I was running late, and I walked in the door. And as I walked in the door, they were singing And it was a song I knew, but I'd never heard it before, sung the way it was sung that day. They were singing, He Lives, He Lives. Christ Jesus lives today. You ask me how I know He lives? He lives within my heart. And I thought, I wonder how they know that for sure. Because I was raised in a church with, you were saved, but then if you sinned, you lost your salvation, and then so the next Sunday you got saved again. So it you know, depended on if you were before the first sin or after, or, you know. And I just thought it was amazing. I'd never heard anybody sing like that with joy. And so I started going to this Bible study, and I never missed. I never missed. I had a four-year-old who ran away from class every week <laughs> and a one-year-old who cried through the whole thing. But I was so desperate for God that I kept going. Four years I went, trying to find out what it was they had that I didn't. And one day as we were doing, I think it was the Life and Letters of Paul, um, there was a verse, and it jumped off the page. And it said, 
I will never leave you or forsake you. And I thought, you know, somebody's been lying to me all my life. Because I thought when you sinned, God left you. And I didn't understand that when Jesus comes in, he forgives all your sins, past, present, and future. And about that time, I remember remember the day, actually, it was that summer, August 6, 1973, when I knelt down and surrendered my life to Christ. I said, God, I can't live this life. I didn't even know I wasn't saved. I just said, I can't live this life. It's too hard. Will you come and live it for me? And he did. He came, and he's never left. And that's what the, that's what the gospel is all about. The gospel is God came to save us. And he came not only to save us from hell, but he came to live the life for us. He came to live this life within us so that other people would see him. You know, Mary got to have Jesus, and it was a wonderful thing. And I can't wait to meet Mary. And she was the only woman who carried Jesus in her womb. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We get him too. And we have him forever. And, you know, I guess if, if you don't know him, if you don't know him this Christmas, you've never, ever celebrated Christmas. You've never really celebrated Christmas because Christmas is Jesus, born to die, that we would live. He came to give us life and life everlasting. He came to give us himself. And that's what we want the world to know. That's why at home and at Christmas we want there to be peace and joy and love. And so I'm just going to pray for myself and hopefully for you too, that this Christmas season you would make room for him every day. You would ask him how he wants to spend his birthday. I remember saying to my kids, you know, they'd want this and this and this and this. And and I'd say, this is not your birthday. You know, you're getting something, but this is not your birthday. This is Jesus's birthday. And they grew up knowing that. And so... You know, but I'm still working at it. I'm still working at it. I have one more little story for you, and um, then I, I, I am through. Um, it's my favorite Christmas pageant story, and I don't know where it is, so give me a second, and I'll find it somewhere in all these things that I didn't use. Um, you never know what you're going to need up here. One time I was speaking at a, um, there was some kind of a luncheon, and my my youngest daughter was with me. And um, as I was sitting, before I got up to speak, as I, as I was sitting, um, I still can't find it. I will. I'll find it. Uh, as I was sitting in the, um, at the table, I was handing my daughter things. I was taking a piece of paper. I don't need this. I need this. I don't need this. And... Um, I had always told her that, you know, I never knew what I was going to do when I got up here. And she said, Mom, you really don't know what you're doing, do you? (laughs) This is my favorite Christmas pageant story. Um, But before before we do, I want to tell you one more thing. One thing we do at Christmas at our house is we read Christmas books. 
We always have. We read them with our children, and my husband and I read them. And we have three favorite Christmas books that we read every year. One of them is um, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I think Scrooge got saved. I don't know what you think, but I think that's what happened. Uh, One of them is The Other Wise Man by Henry Van Dyke. And the other one is The Greatest Christmas Pageant Ever. And if you haven't seen the movie with Loretta Sweat, it's really good. But this is a different Christmas pageant. This actually story comes out of Johnny Erickson's book, A Christmas Longing, which is another book I read every year. Uh, if you would come to your, my house, you would know that I don't do much else but read. But Unless there's snow on the mountain. Probably the best Christmas pageant story I ever heard was the one about Wally Perling. As the story goes, Wally was nine that year and in the second grade, although he should have been in fourth. Most folks in town knew that he had difficulty keeping up. Wally was well-liked by the other children in his class, all of whom were smaller than he. He was always helpful, the natural protector of the underdog. Wally fancied the idea of being a shepherd with a flute in the Christmas pageant that year. But the director of the play assigned him to a more important part. After all, she reasoned, the innkeeper did not have too many lines. So it happened that the usual large audience gathered for the town's yearly extravaganza of crowns and halos, shepherds, crooks, and beards, and a whole stage full of squeaky voices. But no one on stage or off was more caught up in the magic of the night than Wally Perling. Then the time came when Joseph appeared slowly, tenderly, guiding Mary to the door of the inn. Joseph knocked hard on the wooden door of the painted backdrop. What do you want? Wally said, swinging the door open. We seek lodging. Seek it elsewhere. Wally looked straight ahead and spoke vigorously. The inn is full. Sir, we have asked everywhere in vain. We have traveled far, and we are very weary. Wally looked stern. There is no room in this inn for you. Joseph put his arm around Mary. Please, good innkeeper, this is my wife, and she's heavy with child and needs a place to rest. Surely you must have some small corner for her. For the first time, Wally the innkeeper relaxed his stiff stance and looked down at Mary. There was a long pause, long enough to make the audience a wee bit tense with embarrassment. A prompter whispered from the wings, Your line is, No, be gone. Wally repeated automatically, Be gone. Joseph sadly placed his arm around Mary, and two of them started moving away. Wally stood there in the doorway watching. Suddenly, his eyes filled with tears. And suddenly, this Christmas pageant became different from all the others. Wait! Wally the innkeeper suddenly blurted out. Don't go, Joseph! His face broke into a wide smile. You can have my room. Many people in town thought the program had been ruined. A few, however, the thoughtful ones, considered it the most meaningful pageant of all.
So my prayer for you is that you will make room for him this year. If you don't have a relationship with him, you make room for him by allowing him to come. And, you know, all we have to do is admit our need of him. All we have to do is admit that we can't live this life. We're sinners. We're broken people. We're fallen. We can't do it. We cannot live the Christian life. No one can except for Christ. Christ can live the Christian life. And if you are his, you can make room for him by, by slowing down long enough to hear his voice and, and see where he wants you to be and what you want to, he wants you to do this year. And I'm done.